You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Once again, this is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. It is May 15th, 2021, Saturday to be more specific. This is episode 53 of season 3, episode 118 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Today we're going to talk about LEAD, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church by Paul David Tripp. But first, I want to talk about how my four older sons and I spent our afternoon yesterday. You might say evening. What exactly is 5 p.m.? Is that afternoon or is that evening? Nobody knows. But from about 5 p.m. until 8.30 p.m. yesterday, last night, whichever you prefer, my sons and I loaded up in our pickup and we helped Joe and Liz Messer to move from one house to another with a lot of folks from our church, Summit View Community Church in Evans, Colorado, I think also, too, if I understood correctly, we also had people from the Summit View Community Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. So that was a good time. And it was fun to see my sons and also Logan Clark and also Kai and Jack Polk working together to move things working together to put things together, to assemble things. It was fun to see. I think that's a good experience for all of those young men in the making to build relationship that way, working alongside one another, doing a good deed for another family, not because they have to, or maybe they did have to, but I don't think they had to, but because they want to, because it is within their power to do this good deed, to help, and they had the time, and they had the opportunity, and they were allowed to. They were given the opportunity to do so, given the invitation to do so. I appreciate Liz and Joe Messer allowing them to help out, and they were a big help. They did a lot of hard work. They jumped in there They lifted heavy things, heavier things than maybe I was expecting they were going to be up for tackling, but they did the work of young men, and it was good to see. It was encouraging for me to see. I think it was encouraging for the other people, the other adults involved to see that. Sometimes when you look at the world, it looks pretty bleak, it looks pretty uh, dim, and it's good to see young people doing what they should be, doing a good thing. Uh, It gives you a little bit of optimism for the future. I think also, too, to have men my age and older, because I'm not the oldest man in our small group. I'm actually, what, 10 years probably, junior, to Joe Messer and Jeremy Brownrigg. Caleb Clark was also there. I think they're all in their 40s, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. I apologize, gentlemen if I am mistaken, but I think they're all in their 40s. I turned 35 this coming November. All the same, though, to those boys who are 
in their early teens were all old men. And you know that they look up to us or they at least look at us as something of a preview of what life might look like for them in 20 to 30 years. And so it's good that we would do a project, that we would work side by side, especially where it's useful to the Messers. They've had a hard time of it the past month or so, family sickness. They did get COVID. Their household got COVID. Their family got COVID. And then they got a stomach bug. Uh, Polks also got a stomach bug right around the same time. And both the Messers and the Polks had been over at our house hanging out while the women in the small group got together at the Messers' old house and worked on packing things up. And so there was some disagreement. Joe thinks maybe they got it from us. I think that's probably, or at least possibly, the case as well. I asked Kai Polk how their family had fared if that stomach bug made the rounds in their home as well. And he said it did. I asked him if he thought they might have gotten it from us. He says, no, I don't think so. I'm like, okay, well, score one for the Polks that uh, they don't think they got it from us. But I really, I can't overstate how much I enjoyed working together with these young men to get the Messers moved. I think that is just a really phenomenal thing. And it's fun to listen to the women involved as they're milling about trying to put things away and trying to assess where best new furniture, or not new furniture, but old furniture that's new to that house should go in the house. You see them milling about. And uh, a number of them made very complimentary remarks on what quick work we men were making of the moving process. And I'm excited to see young men in their early teens, they'll be grown men soon enough, getting to benefit from that affirmation, getting that good feeling of, hey, I helped. I lent my strength to a family because in 10, 15, 20 years, God willing, they'll have a wife of their own. They'll have children of their own. And that will be their calling to lend their strength to that family day in, day out. So if they get conditioned now to lend their strength in the service of a family, and maybe particularly not the family of origin, sometimes that has a particular benefit maybe in helping them to catch the vision of what it looks like for them in 10, 15, 20 years. I talk a lot on this podcast about what our country is doing and what's going on on the macro and what's going on even in the international scene. I talk a lot about philosophy and history and what I'm reading and all of these things that I think for most people seem very abstract much of the time. And there's something right and simple and direct and unpretentious about taking 
the abstract and the theoretical and the speculative and the, I mean, all of that, right? All of that somewhat nebulous stuff that a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their heads around if they don't make a study of it day in and day out for fun. You take all of that and let's translate that into where the rubber meets the road. Where the rubber meets the road, we've got a family here, still a young family, even though Joe and Liz are a bit older than Lauren and I. They're still a young family with young kiddos. They've got adopted kiddos. They've got one biological daughter, and they've got three adoptive sons, and all three of their adoptive sons are the same age, young boys, and they're moving, right? They're moving from a smaller house they've been in for a while, for years and years, with a small yard into a bigger house with a bigger yard that's oriented, that's laid out in a way that'll be more conducive for their family. Well, that's beautiful, right? That's forward motion. That's beautiful to be a part of that, to be helping that happen, to be achieved. It's beautiful as a church to be doing that for the small group, for the larger church community to get engaged and to lend a hand in that. It's also beautiful for fathers and sons to be getting engaged, getting involved in that, to be working side by side in the service of others. That's excellent. That is fantastic. That's where the rubber meets the road with, at the end of the day, what our country needs in order to survive, in order to endure. Michael Walsh writes this excellent book that came out a few months ago called Why Men Fight, Last Stands, Why Men Fight. And I was talking with my neighbor, who I mentioned quite a lot because we like to talk about books, and I like to talk about books on this podcast, and so, of course, he's going to come up when I'm talking about talking about books. But I was talking with him about a little bit, and I was explaining, I, th- I think, personally, the gist of the book is that why men fight has everything to do with a way of life. It's not first and foremost, usually, about riches and power and glory. It's about how those things may or may not translate into keeping up or advancing a certain way of life. If China were to invade our country tomorrow, and I'm not saying they're going to, I'm just hypothetically laying this out there to make my point. If China were to fulfill the fictional story of the plot to the movie Red Dawn, China invades, North Korea invades, all of a sudden we've got enemy soldiers on our home turf, trying to lock us down, trying to institute martial law, shooting anybody that gets in their way, oppressing our people. Obviously, the Chinese and the North Koreans would have a very different view of how we should conduct ourselves on what we should be doing that's beneficial as far as work goes, on how we should be interacting with one another, on what we could and couldn't say freely. Obviously, anything that 
was critical of their regime would be cracked down on harshly, severely. Any signs of defiance or resistance would be met with violent deadly force, no doubt, just given what we know about how those regimes interact with people in their own country. We know that the Chinese military and the North Korean military would not be above separating families, executing those who seemed to pose a threat as a way of making an example to the rest of the populace. Here's why you need to submit quietly or else. Why men would fight that, even if it seemed all was lost, is because they would be trying to preserve a way of life. They would be trying to protect their women and their children, lending their strength to the security and the provision of their loved ones, those around them, taking responsibility, exercising dominion over their particular part of the earth. When God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, we feel that in our bones, men. That is deeply ingrained in us that we should fill the earth and subdue it. You find a wife, you marry her, settle down, make a home together in loving harmony. Not perfect all the time, not that you never disagree, not that you never get on each other's nerves, but always striving towards unity, towards love, towards edification, towards respect, towards dominion. How do you exercise dominion together over this creation? How do you be fruitful together? How do you multiply together unless you're loving and respecting one another? It's all about fulfilling our purpose that we were created for. And hopefully we don't fulfill it just any old way, just however, just randomly, haphazardly, without intention, without introspection, Hopefully we do it in an intentional way that's strategic, that's tactical, that is faithful to God's word, that is led by God's Holy Spirit dwelling within us if we are believers. Or the rubber meets the road and you have young men being led by older men in lending their strength to the fulfillment of this creation mandate by a young family, you have reason to be optimistic about the future, about where we're going as a nation, as a people. Those young men seeing a compelling vision and being treated with respect and being affirmed themselves, hey, this is good. This is good what you're doing. It's good that you came today. It's good that you helped today. It's good that you carried heavy things and you made yourself tired in the aid of this family. It's good that you did that. I'm proud of you. We are cultivating the next generation of leaders because they will have seen this is how you lead from us older men. We're leading them by example. We're leading them by our affirmation when they do a good job. We're leading them by our direction when we tell them, hey, uh, can you carry this over there? Let me help you. Watch out for that corner there. Here, I'll hold the door for you. Nope, you're good. Excellent. 
perfect. Well done. Good job, guys. Little things like that. It may not seem like we're saving civilization, but we are, believe it or not. We are saving, saving civilization. We are preserving something good. We're moving the ball forward down the field when we do that. So enough about that for right now. Let's talk about LEAD, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church by Paul David Tripp. I'm listening to it on Audible. I had the recommendation of Gary Duff, an elder at, I don't remember, I think it's Dominion Covenantal Church in Omaha, Nebraska. I think that's correct. Forgive me, Uncle Gary, if I forgot precisely. But Gary recommended that I read Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church after his wife, Aunt Sherry, asked me whatever happened with our church situation in Savage, Montana. Now, before I talk too much about the book, I'll admit I'm only halfway through, but also, too, I want to tell you what I told Uncle Gary and Aunt Sherry on Monday night when they wanted to know how that story concluded so far as it concerns me and my family. And what I told them was that for two years, I pleaded with the leadership of Yellowstone Community Church in Savage, Montana. I pleaded with them to abide by the command of Jesus in Matthew 18. Now, I can already see, if I close my eyes, some rolling of the eyes on the part of that leadership, if they were to hear me say that. The Peacemakers series, Peacemakers program for conflict resolution was talked about by the pastor. Lots of other verses talking about being humble, repaying good for evil, not repaying evil for evil, turning the other cheek as much as it lies within you striving to live peaceably with all men. A lot of verses like that were brought up, but the way in which they were applied was not in context. It was not good hermeneutics. It was not the whole counsel of God. It was cherry picking. It was convenience. It was selective interpretation of favorable passages to get the result that was desired, which in this case was we don't confront those two people there because they're bullheaded and they're used to getting their way and they're not going to respond well. That's going to blow up in our faces and we don't want to deal with that. And so we don't want you to deal with that. Even though they're sinning against you, they're sinning against other people, they're fracturing and have fractured the fellowship and the ministry here. They're being bullies. They're out of line. You want to confront that in a biblical way. According to Matthew 18, you're on the governing board of this church. You're a deacon but we're going to make this about you needing to examine your motives. And we're going to bring that up repeatedly over and over again so that at the end of the day, you never advance beyond examining your own motives. You never move on from that to actually doing the thing. Not examine your motives and then go and talk with these people. No, just examine your motives, 
And when you're done with that, do it again. Because this is a delaying tactic. We're putting you off. By the very end of it, I resigned. I withdrew my agreement to serve another two years term as deacon. I withdrew my family from that church. We stopped attending because not only was it affecting me, it was affecting my wife and my children. My children were getting picked on. My children were getting excluded and treated brusquely by members of the one family that was used to getting its own way, had a very dysfunctional attitude towards decision-making in the church. They were selfish and they were arrogant. They were rude and not hospitable. They were malicious. They were slanderers. They were abusive. And they were taking out my disagreeing with them, even in small things, even in things that you would never imagine should be that big of a deal. Just by virtue of my disagreeing with them, they would take it out on my wife and my children by being cold and frosty and exclusionary and unpleasant. And so they didn't only do this to us, they did it to others. They ran off the first pastor who was there when we first started attending. They ran him off and his family. They ran off one of the elders who was serving before I served as deacon. I was initially asked to serve as an elder. And then this family got a hold of that idea and they pruned that down until it was non-threatening to them and their position. They didn't want me having equal standing. They didn't want to regard me as an equal because that would be inconvenient. I had the guts to confront them, to contradict them when they were saying things which were not biblical, that were not godly, that were not in order, that were not scriptural, that were not mature, that were not appropriate. I had the guts to confront them and they didn't like that. So by the end of it, I'm sitting in a room with the elders, Butch Hart, Brady Reuter, Buck DeBill, and we're talking about not my letter of resignation, but my letter of rebuke to Brady. We're talking about this, and we did not see eye to eye. And God only knows whether I had the right of it, but at the end of the day, I said, There's two problems here, at least one of two problems, maybe both problems. One is that you guys do not trust my counsel, in which case I don't know why you want me to rescind my resignation. I don't know why you want me to serve on this governing board. If you don't trust my counsel, you should be the ones suggesting that I resign and leave. If you don't trust that I'm being genuine when I tell you these are the concerns that I have, Here's what the scriptures say with regards to conflict resolution and rebuke. If you don't trust what I have to say, you don't respect it, then why precisely do you want me here? Why am I even on this governing board? It doesn't make a lot of sense. And if I'm in the right, which isn't because I'm in the right, it's because God's always in the right. Let God be true and every man a liar. If I'm in the right in saying that this is abusive behavior by these people who are bad actors, who hurt their fellow Christians, supposed fellow Christians, if they are in fact Christians themselves, 
They hurt their fellow Christians with impunity. Nobody can call them out on it. It's a one-way street where they get to blow everybody else up in front of everybody else and behind the scenes and and gossip and slander and be malicious. They get to do that, but nobody gets to even privately, quietly confront them and rebuke them. How does that work? How exactly does that work? How is that biblical? How is that edifying? How is that God-honoring? How is that holy? How is that spirit-led? How is that at all what we're supposed to be about as a church? And how is it possible that you three elders, when confronted about it, take the easy way out and make it into a problem with me instead of a problem with these people here who need to be confronted? And they need to be confronted in the way that Jesus says to confront those who have sinned against you. Or if these folks have been sinned against, they're not confronting those who have sinned against them in the way that Jesus says, and they should be told in no uncertain terms. They need to. There's a reason that Jesus says, when your brother sins against you, you go to him privately and explain the matter. There's a reason why Jesus says, also, if you're giving your offering to God, and you remember that your brother has ought against you, which is to say you remember that your brother is offended by you. You've sinned against your brother. You remember that. You stop everything. You leave your offering there, and you go and you be reconciled to your brother. I keep reminding you guys of this. You don't want to hear it, and so now I'm the problem. I'm the one who's not being very loving. I'm the one who's not being very kind and gentle. I'm the one who needs to check my motives. Well, wait a second. What about you guys checking your motives for ignoring the clear command of Scripture, the clear command of Christ? When does that happen? I sit on this governing board. I should have standing to ask that question. You guys, if you want so badly for me to stay on this governing board and to serve as a leader in this church and to stay around, why are you not listening when I encourage you right back the same way that you're encouraging me? You tell me it's not very encouraging and loving and edifying for me to rebuke Brady, his family, his in-laws, and yet there's nothing whatsoever untoward about you guys spending three or four hours raking my letter to him over the coals. That's hypocrisy. You should repent of that. We'll never have healthy ministry, healthy fellowship here, so long as there is a rebellious attitude towards handling conflict the way that Jesus commands us. He doesn't give it as an option. He doesn't say if you feel like it. He doesn't say if you think that these people will respond well to being confronted. He says, do it. You're not doing it because people are always going to respond well to you being faithful. You're doing it because there's a command there. That's it. Now, they may surprise you. They may respond appropriately, but even if they don't, we still won't bow down. So I tell Uncle Gary and Aunt Sherry this. I say it didn't end well. It ended with me feeling beat up, feeling abused, feeling betrayed. Remarks that had been made in private to me for years about, oh, go ahead. Yeah, you're in the right. Keep going. Keep it up. This does need to change. All of a sudden, evaporated. Like so much ice on a hot sidewalk, once all four of us, Butch and Brady and Buck and myself, were sitting in a room 
talking about it very candidly. All of a sudden, those statements of support, of encouragement, of agreement, never happened near enough. So I tell Uncle Gary and Aunt Sherry about this. And Gary says, I would recommend you read Lead by Paul David Tripp, the leadership of Dominion Covenant Church in Omaha, went through this recently, and it was very helpful, well-written, encouraging. So I'm halfway through now, and I'll tell you what I told Uncle Gary and Aunt Sherry, and this is the truth, that I am really having a hard time not being jaded. I'm really having a hard time post-YCC trusting people. And if I'm involved in church right now and trying to serve, it's not because I trust people. I'm doing it because God calls us to this. I'm trying to be faithful despite my feeling wounded, despite my feeling nervous or afraid of being hurt again. I'm trying to do it because it's the right thing to do. Because this is what we're supposed to do. And there's a little bit of hope and optimism in me that if I just am faithful with whatever God has gifted me with, that doesn't necessarily mean being out front and being up front. I do help with leading music from time to time, and in which case I'm very much up front, out front in front of everybody. They can see me and all that. That's not what I'm in it for. I'm doing that. I'm helping with music because we are supposed to sing praise and worship to our God. It's right for us to. It's proper for us to do that. It's proper for me to do that. It's proper for everyone to do that. And I have no good reason. I have no justification for saying no when asked to help in leading worship. God's given me some ability with my voice to sing praises to him. And he deserves my praise. He deserves my worship. There's a certain respect piece. There's a certain obedience piece to this. And I think of my wife having knee surgery. And the end goal of the knee surgery is not pain. The end goal is not to just have these screws holding your kneecap in a new place. The goal is to have your walking and all of that, all the muscles and bone and sinew that makes that happen, work better, work properly, work the way that it was supposed to. And so that's been a decision we've had to make and we'll have to make it again because both of her knees have been bad. We got the one work done and she still has some nerve damage there, but hopefully, hopefully it holds out the results of the surgery, the major surgery she had back in 2019. At a certain point, we'll have to do the other one and there will be pain. There will be bed rest. There will be medication to deal with and manage the pain. There will be physical therapy to rehabilitate that leg and that knee after atrophy, after resting, giving things a chance to heal. And what happens if you just say, well, this hurts, and so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to 
put myself out there. I'm not going to exercise these muscles because it hurts. Well, then it never heals properly and you never get that function back. I'm not good with that. I'm not good with that if we are meant for community and when we're called to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as some do, and when we're told repeatedly throughout the New Testament that God's desire is for us to not be unfruitful, unproductive. God's desire is for us to edify the body. Paul writes in Corinthians that God gives different spiritual gifts to different members of the body because his desire is for each member to need the others and to build up the body for his glory. And so that the world sees his glory manifest in his people. They see us loving one another. They see us affirming one another even when we don't have all the same gifting. They see us embracing the fact that there is diversity. And here's what good godly diversity looks like. Not diverse religious persuasions, not diverse opinions about what is and is not good and evil, but diverse gifting, diverse personalities, diverse opportunities to serve. So Paul David Tripp's 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church, I'm still not sure what I think of it halfway through. And full disclosure, I could be on guard about it just because I've been hurt. And he's touching on things that hurt. You know, my wife goes to a surgeon for a follow-up appointment, goes to a physician's assistant for a follow-up appointment, goes to a physical therapist for a follow-up appointment on her knee. And very often what they do is they manipulate the kneecap just to see how it's moving. Is it moving freely? How's it doing? Is it in position? And wouldn't you know it, that hurts. It doesn't mean that it can be avoided. It doesn't mean that they're trying to hurt her, but it hurts. It's uncomfortable. Now with Paul David Tripp, I don't know his ministry and his background very well. I don't follow him. I haven't listened to any sermon by him. I haven't kept up with his commentary on current events. Usually that is a bellwether for me, by the way. If a pastor comments on current events, like the death of George Floyd, if they comment with a list of 24 verses, implying that systemic racism and critical race theory are one and the same with biblical justice, that we have a responsibility as a church to go woke. If they write things like that and they tweet things like that out, and that's the only time they really show a willingness to fight, to stand their ground, to confront publicly, I take their book, Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church, with a big old whopping grain of salt. And that is the case with Paul David Tripp. That's all I know about him other than this book, is that he did that. When George Floyd died, he came out and he called it murder. He implied that systemic racism is a thing and that the church, his church, him in particular, have been silent on it far too long. We need, have got to get engaged, involved, say his name, Black Lives Matter, that whole kit and caboodle. So I'm not inclined to trust him. If he has good things to say in this book, okay. But so far, I am wary. 
once I finish the book and have some time to chew on it and think about it, we'll do another episode because I think it's important. I think it's really important when people that I respect and trust as much as I can these days, trust and respect anybody, when people that I trust and respect are saying this book was really helpful to them and they got a lot out of it, I'm going to read it and I'm going to try to put aside if in any measure I'm jaded and cynical and just afraid of getting hurt again. I'm going to try and set that off to the side. If this is not such a good book, and I read a lot of books, and I'm not afraid to say so if I have some concerns, if this is not such a good book, but there's a poison pill buried in the applesauce here, then I'm going to read it, and I'm going to find that poison pill, and I'm going to let everybody know about it. Um, yeah, that's that's what I feel called to. I, honestly, that's that's the thing of it. That's the thing that creates a lot of loneliness in me is that I see these things as being a responsibility that leaders in the church have. And what I mean is not that I'm a pastor, not that I'm an elder, not that I'm a deacon, not that I have any official standing or title or ordination in the church. I've studied. uh, I have a family. I'm asked what I think about things. I have a microphone, obviously. So I feel like I have a responsibility, right? As for me in my house, as Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. I have a responsibility to be sober and vigilant for my adversary. The devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jude in the New Testament, brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, full brother of James, who wrote my favorite book in the New Testament. Jude says to contend for the faith. All throughout the New Testament epistles, we see calls to confront false teaching, to keep close eye over our doctrine. We see Old Testament and New Testament charges to guard our heart. So however popular lead is, however high the rating is and it's 4.8 out of 70 ratings on audible just so you know however highly praised this is however well polished it is i'm gonna try to do my part with the gifts that the lord has given me i think the lord has given me a spirit of discernment he didn't give me that spirit of discernment so that i could just give a thumbs up every time people tell me This is a really great book. You should read it. Well, is it a really great book? Maybe. It might have some good things to say. doesn't mean it's a great book. It doesn't mean that everything in it is good. So we're going to leave it there. That's all I've got for this morning. It's a Saturday morning. I am plum tuckered from helping the Messers move yesterday. And I've got some things I need to catch up on today. Hanging out with my family. Resting. Getting some rest. But I hope this episode was beneficial to you. Let me know what you think if you have any comments. But for now, that's all we got. Until next time, thanks for listening and God bless. 
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.